history with the podcast guy, Matt King. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to our podcast. Unfortunately, for some, our topics that we talk about may be offensive to some people. The topics that we discuss could also be triggers, and we want you to be aware of that. If you are in need of help, please talk to a professional, a family member, or a friend. We are not medical professionals, and we don't claim to be. We are just two guys with a microphone and a platform. Please listen with discretion. Welcome to This Time in History, guys. I'm Matthew, and we're back again with another interview covering the 2022 municipal election. Guys, election day is on October 24th, and uh, early voting is October 7th to the 14th. With me today, she's running for Ward 4, Parkdale High Park in the City of Toronto. Her name is, I think you pronounce it, Chemi Lamo? You got it. Chemi, like chimichangas. Awesome. I always mess up the names for some reason. If you listen to, to all my Uh-oh. interviews, I always mess up the names. So Uh-oh. I'm glad I got that right. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. And uh, I, I'm so glad we were finally able to do this interview. Uh, I'm excited. And uh, let's start off, um, engage with the voters and, and ultimately answer the questions. Why are you running? Why this election? And why now? All right. Um, first and foremost, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Jimmy Lamo and I'm running because I was born an activist. Uh, there's not really a choice uh, when you are born a stateless refugee. Um, however, I became a community organizer when I realized that it was scarcity of resources in our community. When your award becomes an afterthought for um in the city, uh, by default, you become an organizer. If there's a leaking roof in your high school, you become an organizer because you don't want to walk around a garbage can to get to your class, right? Um, So because of that, I became uh, a community organizer and I continue to be one uh, with or without office. And I will now seek an opportunity to be able to represent the larger ward and larger community to change the way politics is being done inside of halls of government because it's time for communities to be actually on decision-making tables in City Hall. That's why I'm running. In terms of why now, this is actually the only time I can afford to do so, both in in every aspect, physically, mentally, spiritually, and financially. Uh, we are, you know, in a housing crisis, we are in various crises. And as humans, we live complex lives and life has never been easy uh, living specifically in Toronto, when folks are constantly worried about being able to meet rent, uh, living paycheck to paycheck, uh, worried about not being able to get to work on time or class on time because transit is inefficient. Um, so for me, at my point in life right now, this is the only time I can afford to quit my jobs Uh, which I've never since I was 14, uh, to be able to dedicate myself uh, to have an opportunity to serve this larger community. So this is it now, now or never. That's amazing. I I love that story. I love that story. Um, Let's get right into it. Let's talk about uh, your platform. And I'm also interested to know, um, uh, you started your uh, community engagement or your door knocking, what kinds of things you're hearing Mm -hmm. at the door at the door? Mm-hmm. So starting with my platform, our platform actually, um, prior to going um, into it, I want to tell you that we've actually been engaging in a process um, 
that will actually bring community into City Hall. Uh, we put it into practice by engaging with community organizations and organizers that are actually on the grounds, um, know what's happening on the grounds for everyday people that uh, live in the neighborhood uh, to sit on our policy roundtables that we've been hosting on a weekly basis for several weeks. So our platform that you see um, has been built by those individuals. There are individuals that uh, come from various organizations across the city, from a planning perspective, from a climate perspective, from the transit perspective as a homeowner, as a tenant, as you know, various walks of life uh, to be actually making the decisions. With that said, our platform currently, we has four priorities for Ward 4, starting from housing justice. Um, housing justice is key. Everyone talks about affordable housing, uh, but how is it that we're going to actually get affordable housing? Where is the funds going to come from? What are the spaces that we're going to use to be able to create affordable housing? Uh, where are the opportunities? How are we going to increase the deeply affordable housing stock? Right. These are solutions that we need, not just talking about, oh, yeah, there's a crisis. Um, and we've done our research. Uh, we have actually listened to community organizations that have been um, crying for decades about the solutions that they have come up already for just politicians to be able to pick it up and implement it. So housing justice is first. We have bold climate action. Um, you know, we can fight as much as we want internally, but if Mother Earth doesn't survive, none of us will. And uh, so it's important that we're talking about climate action mm -hmm. and not just uh, meeting net zero standards, but making sure that we are actually taking bold climate action, uh, such as investing in uh, local climate solutions. We want to be able to see um, community gardens without transaction of money, you know, uh, that actually builds a sense of community for everyone. Um, so bold climate action, we want to see better transit. Transit is the least funded system. Uh, transit system that we have in Toronto is the least funded in all over North America, uh, which is absolutely ridiculous to me. Um, and lastly, but not the least, it's to radically reimagine what safety means. Um, because we can define safety differently. Um, everyone has a different definition of what safety means to them. However, I think we can all agree that if someone doesn't have a roof over their head, uh, it is not safe. Right? If they are being told to go sleep in the TTC when they're asking for a shelter, um, it is it is safer for everyone to make sure that someone that person has housing and that they're not dependent on transit. It's also important that we have safer streets, right? So these are things that I think are common grounds for everyone, no matter what your political stripe is, to come together to talk about safety. So those are our four priorities in terms of our platform. Uh, we also are tackling a couple of other local issues, which um, answers your second question about what have we been hearing. We've been hearing the concerns from small businesses. We've been hearing the concerns from parents talking about not being able to you know, work uh, to be able to pay the bills because they need childcare, um, and uh, talking about access to schools. So a couple of these things are definitely provincial and federal, but all of it bleeds back into how they live their lives locally, right? They're not able to support their local businesses and are more dependent on um, big corporations because they can't afford it. So definitely those are some of the concerns and safety, as I said, um, a lot of the other concerns that have been raised across the ward actually have been aligned with our priorities, which is why we've been doing so well while we canvass. That is amazing. And, and it's very uh, uh, concise. I, 
I love the direction of your of your planet. Sounds very solid. Um, now, because you're in Ward Four, uh, this was brought to my intention uh, attention er early on um, after registration. But uh, I was wondering if uh, we could chat about the Swansea Muse, yeah, and the terrible um, circumstance. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll put it that that's going on there. Yeah. <laughs> So what's your question, Matthew? So exactly what about Swansea Muse? So exactly what happened in terms of the the building, and uh, what have you heard is being done, and do you agree with um, the decision? Mm -hmm. Well, it's really unfortunate um, uh, of what happened in Swansea Muse, but let's be real. That's happening in every part of Toronto at the moment. We just haven't heard about it, right? Uh, I grew up um, here in Parkdale, heart, heart of Parkdale, um, but I went to university at University of Toronto Scarborough. And I remember actually while I was president there that uh, one of our students, actually international students lost their life because they were living in a rooming house that was illegal and didn't have a fire escape. And yeah, she lost her life. Um, and Sorry. housing concerns, housing concerns have always been present right um and we know that um because we live that reality i've always been a renter my whole life i've never owned a home my parents actually have never owned a home um and that's something that we dream of but it's kind of impossible at this moment in toronto so swansea Muse is something that's is actually the reality of toronto i would say um with that said it's terrible that we have housing that is not maintained, um, that should not be the standard of what housing looks like, uh, especially housing that is governed and maintained by the city. And what should be done? Well, currently they're trying to relocate a lot of the community members that are there. Um, they have evacuated all of Swansea Muse. I've cycled there multiple times. That was one of my priorities to make sure that I connect with community members uh, who actually live there. And so I've spoken to a couple of members who live there, who used to live there at least, uh, have been relocated, were initially put in dorms, in university dorms as a temporary solution. Uh, it's been months of folks just trying to have to uh, come back to get their stuff because they don't have space to be able to put their stuff. Um, not everyone has been relocated in an actual home. Um, and even if you are relocated to a home, you are moved out of your community. You're up. What does that what type of effect does that have on the children of families? You know, I have a degree in neuroscience and psychology. And so I can tell you that from a psycho psychology perspective, that that has a tremendous impact on the children, uh, especially in their formative years of adolescence, of having to grow up in a different neighborhood, having losing your friends and, um, you know, everyone knowing about the conditions of your housing because it's all over the news. Um, and so these are challenges that, uh, that nobody should be facing, especially in a city like Toronto, which is one of the richest cities in the world, that housing is an issue itself is, is just blasphemy because it's like, why are we not prioritizing social housing? Why are we not funding the most important aspect of being able to live safely? Is to be able to have a roof over your head, especially in Canada with negative 30 degrees sometimes winters like and you know right now even in the summers it's like we have heat waves uh there's fires happening in apartment buildings and 
landlords are actually kicking people out and giving eviction notices for having an AC in their unit. Yeah, I heard, I, heard, I heard about that. that, and that that's happening in in, uh, in your ward, right? King and... Yes. Uh, Jameson. King 130 Jameson. Jameson. Yes. I love on I actually lived on Jameson. That was the first home um when I first moved to Parkdale. Uh at the age of eleven. The closest we ever got to Parkdale is uh we checked out an apartment there one time, but uh we didn't we didn't like the the area, so <laughs> wow, you didn't like the area. Not many say that. No, I we were we this was like uh <laughs> don't worry, oh. I'm not putting you in the hot spot. <laughs> no, All no, the Parkdale they, High Park is wonderful. No, it is wonderful. It is beautiful. It's just yes. 20, 20 years ago, I, I was a kid. I didn't know anything. So <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, no, I don't, <laughs> Matthew. <laughs> no, no. It's just because you hear those things, right? And when, yeah. you're, when you're a kid, when I was a kid, I, I was gullible. I'll, I'll admit that. So, you know, someone told me, oh, you know, this neighborhood's dangerous. I believe them. So mm -hmm. that's what you get. It's dangerously for, beautiful. Uh, it say. is. It is. I love the, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a truck driver now, so I actually deliver in parts of the, the neighborhood. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's going off topic a little bit, but St. Joe's saved my life. Mm. And uh, I don't know if technically that's beyond yes. your ward, but. No, it's not beyond my ward. Okay, it's so. Ward. So St. Joe saved my life. So mm. not only do I have a, a fondness for that area now as an yes. adult, you know, as, as an adult, but the hospital yeah. saved my life. And, and so part of, part of the reason I'm doing these interviews, right. Is to give back to everybody, to all the communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. You know, say, uh, Matthew, St. Joe's was actually critical for us actually during the pandemic, because I had a lot of, um, we do a lot of mutual aid work in Parkdale. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is something that all across the city can learn from. Um, because when the city shut down, we rose up. We were taking care of each other like no tomorrow. From groceries, we were getting hot meal programs, which we got funding for initially for 12 weeks, then continued on for 32. Every Tuesdays and Thursdays, we're dropping off hot meals. We have, um, you know, uh, folks that needed access to vaccine. We're getting supports. We were doing everything on our own. But you know, we're limited in terms of capacity. And during that time, I actually got that drive to want to be part of the political system because access to St. Joe's was actually cut off because of construction. So yes. when seniors were actually like positive with COVID, didn't, could not breathe. Um, we couldn't get them to the ER because our access was blocked. And our ward had one of the highest deaths in long-term care centers. Uh, we had, we had, we were a hotspot. My postal code was a hotspot. Uh, I live in an apartment. I rent. Um, and during those times, I realized that yes, we take care of each other. Yes, community shows up for each other. But if the system does not have those resources allocated to be um, for the communities, we actually die. Our lives are actually at stake. And so I'm really happy that St. Joseph was able to save um, you. Uh, I feel like because of city's poor planning and poor governance, uh, that costed us many lives in our uh, beautiful neighborhood. Um, and that is why I'm running.
to change that, to have that community representation, to have a renter to be talking about that uh, affordability crisis, not multi-million dollar homeowners um, who are not affected by it or folks who don't take transit to, to be talking about, you know, um, current transit constructions and saying they hear you, but not being able to understand what it's like to navigate a stop when there's eight different signs on one stop, knowing that only to find out later on after half an hour that the bus not even running. <laughs> Absolutely. I understand completely. Uh, moving along, I want to talk about the budget. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we're facing many crucial decisions uh, in the next term of council. We can't afford to get these decisions wrong. And the city's, the city's bleeding money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have a $1.6 billion backlog in TCHC repairs. Yeah. You know, the TTC is going to be half a billion dollars short on their funding, according to their numbers. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, it's not dire enough that Mr. CEO doesn't get a 21% increase in his pay. <laughs> and I'm just wondering what you're hearing about the budget, what you'd like to see happen. And uh, what do you see in terms of for the next four years? Mm-hmm. There needs to be a serious conversation about where our funds are being allocated, right? Um, the fact that there is a backlog in TCHC funding uh, does not in any way make it easier that we have a housing crisis in addition to that, right? Have you heard that students are right now dependent on shelters to be able to get their undergraduate education? I did not hear that, but yeah. I'm not. But I'm also not surprised. I remember when I was attending University of Toronto Scarborough, they read, they made a whole star story about one of the teacher assistants, TAs, um, that he was living through his uh, living through a shelter and was actually experiencing houselessness throughout his whole degree while he was teaching other students, um, and it was like a success story that they kind of glorified and. Um, now we're seeing that that's the norm uh, because we haven't addressed the issues. So when it comes to budget, we definitely need to start thinking about where, what are our priorities. They need to be back to the basics of housing, transit, climate. Um, and we can do that when we first have our heads straight uh, in terms of our priorities. And we need to think about where we're spending our money. When we're making contracts with these construction companies, um, we need to be able to hold them accountable. It needs to be transparent, right? If they're not meeting the deadlines, there needs to be fines that they're paying. The King, Queen, Queensway, Roncesvalles uh, intersection has not only been closed during the pandemic because they've ripped it up, uh, you know, more than three times. Uh, they were said they said that it was supposed to be done in September. Uh, well, September now we got another deadline saying that it's going to be done in December. Uh, community members have told me that they've never seen they don't, that they don't see work happening and un only until they complain multiple times to various offices do they finally get a response that oh they'll be there <laughs> but they're telling us that that's not happening right so clearly it's not a priority our elementary schools that are locally here uh they're getting construction uh during the school year. So kids who are finally able to socialize uh, and meet with their friends and are back to school after years of the pandemic are no longer able to have recess outdoors. 
because it's still under construction. So where's the accountability on that? Where's the transparency in that, right? So making sure that whatever partnerships that we build are meaningful and making sure that they're held to account uh, with developers, with builders, with transit, X, Y, and Z, uh, et cetera. Um, in addition to that, right now, the police budget is over a billion dollars and is currently more than housing, transportation, and libraries combined. Make it make sense. It makes sense to have $2 million spent on evicting people from uh, parks, but not to just create housing with that $2 million. Not that it was going to create a lot, but at least 10 affordable units could have been created with that $2 million. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I was going to go there next. Uh, you know, uh, you alluded to it. We all watched in horror as the mayor ordered the, the police to evict all those people, you know, throwing away all their things, robbing them of the only thing they have left, their dignity. What more needs to be done to help the unhoused people, uh, not only in your ward, but in the city of Toronto, more has to be done. What more can we do? Because the status quo is not working. And I'm just wondering what you see uh, in terms of, uh, of that for the next council? Well, first and foremost, they need to be sitting. The folks that are experiencing houselessness should be not only listened to, but should be sitting at the decision-making table. How many councillors or candidates actually take the moment to go and talk to the community members that are in encampments or even engage with the encampment support network? Let's that's, start from there. That's a good question. Right? Um, did you know that, um, or not did you know, <laughs> Matthew, how, how does a houseless person vote? There's currently about 10,000 people, right, um, that are houseless, that are not, that are looking for a shelter, uh, according to the city website, at least, which I think is an understatement. Um, and about 60 to 80 people are constantly uh, turned away on a daily basis uh, from the shelter system, right, because there's not enough space. So folks that are houseless, which is a ton uh, right now, how do they vote? That's a good question. They can't because they don't have an address. Is that correct? Uh, they can vote if they have access to a shelter or an address or are a clientele of an organization that makes the effort of applying and make, going through the you know, whole process of applying to be able to get them the ability to engage in their democratic right. Uh, however, even for me, as a candidate who has been actively involved in talking to the community members uh, that are houseless, have in relationships with people actually uh, who are houseless, at the brink of houselessness, um, we're still navigating and trying to find out how our friends who are houseless can actually vote for us because they've expressed their support to me right outside my office. Um, and we're trying to find out a way. So I think it really starts from first and foremost, having making sure that uh, they're listened to, but not only there, making sure that they are supported with housing. And uh, that doesn't mean throwing them in shelters. Um, you know, I dare anybody to actually have uh, spend a couple of nights in a shelter. Um, anybody in terms of, you know, the councillors or candidates uh, and prove me that it is actually safe. I'm glad that you brought right. that up because... Uh... A little story. So I used to live in wards, the former Ward 6, which is now Ward 3, Etobicoke Lakeshore, for 13 years. And they were commissioning a building at the north 
northwest corner of Lakeshore and 8th Street, which is basically Islington and Lakeshore, um, as a shelter. Now, I don't know why, I don't know if it was because of community outcry or the current counselor or council as a whole changed their mind. That's no longer going to be a site for a homeless shelter. And I'm well, just wondering a if you lot of, yeah, a lot of the hotel shelters. Sorry to cut you off. I, okay. I'm asking <laughs> okay. you for my opinion, right? Uh, a lot of the hotel shelters are actually uh, going to be closing soon, right? Um, and uh, hotel shelters were the only shelters that a lot of the houseless community members had. Um, and now that they're closing, they were given um, the notice that it's going to be closing in a week. Um, and they were also given a notice that they were all going to get uh, access to um, affordable housing. They were going to get shifted to actual housing but in nine months. So Matthew, tell me what happens uh, after a week when you're evicted up until nine months. Where do you go then in between? The park. Exactly. Uh, oh, where, where you'll be criminalized, exactly. where you'll be evicted, where you'll be brutalized uh, and uh, re-robbed of all your belongings. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening right now, which is why our policy platform actually talks about ending the, uh, you know, just criminalization of Houselessness, we want to make sure that we have not only shelters, but actually deeply affordable housing units for everyone. I like that. I really like that because I, you know, like I said, I'm a truck driver, so I drive everywhere all the time. And I am one of those people that give money, but I feel like, you know, I don't have enough money to give everybody. And I feel like even though I give the money, it's not enough. I can do more, mm. but I don't know what else I, I have. I'm at a loss to figure that out. Yeah. First and foremost, you can vote. <laughs> Second, you can rally and uh, pressure your government officials because that's their job to be addressing these issues, right? That's why they're in office. Um, Councillors, MPPs, MPs, they're public servants. The job their job is to be serving their constituents. Their job is to be serving the people that live in their uh, neighborhoods, their wards, their writings, right? And I think their folks need a reminder of where the power really does lie. It does lie in you folks, you as a community member, you as a constituent, and you can use your voice to organize, to be able to stand up for what you believe in, uh, which is housing justice. Absolutely. And uh, now I want to talk about transit a little bit. You know, we've seen transit expand into the into the north, into York region. I'm wondering if you would support it expanding into the west, into Peel region, into the east and Durham region. And overall, what do you see in terms of transit for the next four years of council? <laughs> uh, we want to make sure that transit is actually publicly owned and fully funded by the Let's city or the, all the way. by the city or the province funded the city. okay right uh i mean it would be great to have province and federal dollars actually roll into the ttc program because currently uh as you already mentioned uh we're short uh the reason why we're short is because our ttc system is the least funded transit system in all over north america so um the money's got to come from somewhere. Uh, and first and foremost, it's important to be uh, aware and make 
proper decisions on how we're spending the money that we are. Um, I don't think that having fair inspectors and paying that program is actually of any value because what we're doing is further criminalizing community members that are not able to afford a $3.25 fare. Right. We need to be talking about and addressing how we can increase ridership. Right now, the TTC is dependent on, um, or right now, about 70% of the TTC's money is dependent on the ridership. And so when the ridership goes down, for example, like a pandemic, they're in trouble. They're in deep, deep trouble. Right. And so it really comes down to political will uh, in terms of all levels of government to be able to prioritize public transit. It needs to be continue to be uh, publicly owned and fully funded. And the, re the, the way we can go about that is having accountability. As I said earlier, you know, accountability, we want to see uh, transparency in terms of the companies that we work with, um, making sure that Metrolinx, Bombardier, all of these big entities that we're working with, uh, like actually doing the work in uh, addressing the services that are completely inefficient at this time. We need to be increasing the services. We need to be working on like fair bus programs, right? We, right now, the amount of seniors that I've met that said, Jimmy, I can't even afford rent. I can't go out to breathe and go to the park or engage in um, the free programs that some community organizations give them. Like, you know, recently a group of seniors in our neighborhood went to the Bada Shoe Museum because they were taken by one of the not-for-profit organizations nearby. I thought it was wonderful because they dropped by my office later on and they were like, Jimmy, Jimmy. It was very cute. We have a cute video of it. Um, but they actually told me that uh, they had to pay their own TTC fare to engage in these programs because they don't have funding to give them the TTC fares. And they said, you know, a couple of our friends can come. And I was like, what a shame. You know, you're coming out of a pandemic. These seniors are already suffering with loneliness. Loneliness is actually one of the highest causes of death in North America in general, not just in, amongst seniors, but of course, more common in seniors. And they're not able to socialize and engage with these so-called free programs because of the cost of transit. You know, why are we not able to make transit free for seniors, for folks that are on uh, ODSB, on Ontario Works? We already know they can't afford it. Okay? <laughs> Ontario Works and ODSBs don't even pay rent properly. Um, no, they, no, they don't. Yeah. Food? Forget food. Right. But I know those are provincial, but why are we making more barriers for community members to be able to access you know how do you go to an interview to get a job right we need to be able to access well you know if you don't pay the fare or your pesto runs out which oftentimes happens because now it's digitalized and you need data to be able to refill it and a credit card or you know a debit card uh, um, and if you need to get on the transit and you don't have enough funds and a fare inspector comes by guess how much of a fine you're going to get slapped on I think it's $75, right? Oh, no, Matthew. It's actually $400, up to $400. What? The last time I was on this, it's been a while because I drive now, but <laughs> okay. it was yes, it was seventy five dollars. Uh, let me tell you, I ride the TTC all the time, actually, as we canvas all our canvassers. Uh, That's amazing. That's uh, we amazing. take the transit to go to everywhere we go. Uh, I take the bicycle that's the only way i can move i don't own a car <laughs> um and yeah it is 400 dollars. they've upped it up i wish and... i i wish i could bike but i got a really bad knee i can't i can't 
But yeah, uh, that's another thing that community members have talked about, right? We don't have safe enough streets for uh, folks that are physically disabled or differently abled and um, uh, have mobility devices to be able to navigate the city because their streets are not safe. Pedestrians, cyclists are constantly getting struck by motorists. So then they don't feel safe to be taking transit or walking or biking in the neighborhood. So they feel that they have to buy a car and keep up with their car bills because that's the only way to get around for them. Not to mention when all that construction is going on, they move the bus stops and <laughs> they're not always safe where they move them. So I understand what you're talking about. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I told you already, there was eight different signs in one of those bus stops. I couldn't figure it out. And I speak English fluently. I can't imagine that type of nightmare for anybody else who's uh, what maybe has poor eyesight, possibly does not speak English, uh, too, does not even have the time. You're like, come on. People are always go, go, go. But what, eight signs to talk about whether or not the bus is coming only to find out that the bus is not? <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. That's the and state it, of our current city. And again, if you only if you really want to find out, you need a phone with an app. That means you need data. Yeah. How many of us can pay yeah. $75 a month? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it, it's bad. It um, is really bad, Matthew. And it's, the question is, what are we going to do about it, right? And how can we do something about it? How Who can afford to do something about it? You know, I'm here for the first time, not having a job since I was 14, having this conversation with you only because the whole community, entire community came together to support our campaign. So we're a fully financed, funded campaign at the moment because of their drive to see that change happen. That's amazing. I am so, I'm in awe because, you know, there are candidates out there and I'm not going to name names that just, they just want to get in. And then there are candidates like you that rally your community together. And I, I love that. I love because that. we live that reality. We can't afford to constantly have politicians that represent us that one, don't even live in the neighborhood, two, don't even live the lives that we do and are making decisions about how they're going to so-called make our lives better. But that doesn't translate to any action, you know. Our lives are getting constantly harder on an everyday basis. And I'm not talking about a specific demographic here. We're talking about a lot of Torontonians that are struggling to pay rent right now. Why? Because a bachelor apartment is about $1,500 minimum for a basement, right? <laughs> a one-bedroom apartment is over $2,000. And according to technically what the average median income is for a Torontonian, and 30% of their income is actually $800. So where can you find an apartment, one-bedroom apartment for $800? No, nowhere. That's the reality. I know. I know we were talking about transit, but let's. Uh, I had uh, one question. So there is a debate going on on whether rooming houses should be uh, legalized. Be, yeah, legalized. Thank you. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Um, given the current complex situations that we're in, um, I do want to see the legalization of rooming houses so that it can become safe. Uh, it is no doubt that rooming houses exist. Uh, and I see that as a reality. I know that as a reality because as I was, as I said, as a student organizer, uh, I used to commute two hours one way to get my uh, university degree. But 
folks that lived in that neighborhood um, that I served at that time lived in rooming houses. Outside, it looked like just one house. Inside, you go in, there's, you know, at least three, four units. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, and you know, even in our ward, uh, as I knock on doors, I've come across various homes all across the ward, right? In High Park, um, in Parkdale, where it looks like a house from the external and actually one specific one. When I went inside, there was 21 units inside one detached home. Wow. It was just a regular detached home, uh, an average size of a high park home. And there was 21 bachelor units stuffed inside. There was three floors and seven wow. units per per uh, floor. And wow. tell me those are all registered. No. Absolutely what not. Hap- what happens if there's a fire there? What happens if there's an emergency there? Right? Are they being checked? to make sure that they meet the building standards. What if mold is being grown in some of these units? How is the landlord going to be held accountable if there was no check in the first place? So because of the reality that we were in, I do want to support legalization of rooming houses so that we can have, given that we are backing it up with regular checks to be able to support and give the resources to even landlords of those home or to be able to be one held accountable and two given the resources to be able to be better landlords for the tenants that are currently living in those conditions. Right. At least for now, that's the least that we can do is to make sure that they're able to live in a safe home that's or well, at least a janitor uh, custodian's closet. <laughs> that's well put. I, I like that. And I, I tend to agree. Uh, moving along, I want to talk about uh, crime in the police. Uh, you know, we always had a we always have a high crime rate in Toronto. Unfortunately, um, some people are of the mind that that poverty breeds crime. Uh, I'm just wondering your... when poverty is criminalized, poverty folks assume or interpret it as poverty breeding crime. Yes, but the first part of it is has been forgotten in modern language is that when we criminalize the poor that's when we are assuming and interpreting it to be as poverty breeding uh crime so i think we need to first look at uh ourselves in terms of our governance in terms of the structures that we are create we have uh that we currently live in the systems that are uh currently governing us and the people that we elect into office that keep the status quo. Um, and then we can talk about crime and the relation to poverty um, because we allow constantly by not standing up for the community members that are poor to be criminalized, to be brutalized, to be, you know, restricted from their dignity um, and then blame them for being, you know, for, for crime. Um, and so I think we need to reevaluate how we look at crime because um, quite often, I mean, uh, you already know the statistics, but let me emphasize again, you'll see that uh, there is an overrepresentation of black community members in the prison, uh, in the incarceration system or the prison, um, in prisons in general. And so why is that? Why is that? Are we going to ask those questions and start acting on them? Um, why are certain neighborhoods over-policed? Uh, why are 
Um, <laughs> why do I constantly have to see undercover police in my neighborhood? <laughs> um, you know, when technically there are, there's crime happening in all across. Um, and so we see the treatment and just the injustices that are constantly happening committed by uh, the police themselves uh, or the systems in power itself. That was well put. Um, I was just wondering your your opinion on the crime rate. And um, I, I guess, what can we do better uh, as, a, yeah. a, as, as a city? What can the government do better to help... Um, to help with the crime, I guess, is, is my question. Mm. What can we help? What can we do to help with crime rate? Well, keep communities safe. How do you keep communities safe? Give communities the agency to keep themselves safe, right? Where are the mental health supports? Where are the community, even community, um, what do you call it? Community centers, sorry. <laughs> I grew up with community centers. You know, that kept me safe um, because I was able to have a place to go and play sports. Mm -hmm. Simple as that, right? When you see the invest, when there are investments that are being made in your community to make sure that you have the right mentorship, the right guidance, the right supports to be able to grow into individuals, grow as a community that can be self-sufficient, can work towards uh, thriving in a community, you you will. Community itself will thrive, right? Uh, how do we address crime? Uh, by investing in those communities. Who are, who's creating those, who's committing those crime? It's humans that live in this, live in our neighborhoods. It's your, it's people like you and I, right? That are committing crime. And so why is it? Is it because uh, that there is no mental health support? Possibly, I think. Most likely. Uh, and also in terms of when there's lack of resources, oftentimes we see that there's infighting. And that is done by the state when there's criminalization of, again, the poor, when there's criminalization of specific communities, right? And there's this injustice that is happening. Um, and so I believe that we can address crime by making sure that we're actually investing in communities. I into like social programs, into community centers, into housing, into climate, into transit. That allows for healthy communities to be built. When you deprive a community of the resources, you bet they're being set up for failure. I like that. I got one other thing I want to ask you before I let you go. Uh, public health. I'm interested in your opinion on how the city handled the pandemic at the municipal level, uh, whether you think the city learned anything from the pandemic, and in your opinion, are we ready for the next pandemic? Hmm. Quite honestly speaking, as a local community member who is a community organizer, I think the city did not do a good job um, because when our area was a hotspot, we could not get access to vaccine. Uh, we didn't even have a vaccination clinic until um, three weeks later when our member of provincial parliament made a statement. But until that, 
Right. Even before that, we were like crying out loud for to be able to get a clinic. Other communities got clinics right away when they became a hotspot, got access to it. Our closest vaccination clinic was two hours away by transit. When you're living in a hotspot, did you want us to be taking transit and risking other people's lives as well? That was the reality of our ward, parts of our ward, specific parts of of our ward. Okay, and I realized that um, we were not going to get access to resources easily. I was sitting on various tables where we were, um, you know, asked to create proposals on how we're going to serve our community. While the folks that were deciding where the money was going are at the leisure of their home offices, making six figures. Um, And that's the reality when pandemic hit um, that folks that are out of touch should not be uh, the decision makers. The agency needs to be at the most local level of community because they are, they know and they have the experiential knowledge, wisdom to be able to understand what it takes to keep themselves safe. Um, so with that said, I actually uh, got a job with the city during that time. Uh, I became one of the decision makers or rather access, um, became one of the coordinators that knew where I could access the decision makers. And once I got into the city, guess what? I had access to all the vaccination lists that I wanted to. Uh, I got free boxes of sanitizers and masks to give away to my community. And I talked to myself, I thought to myself, oh, I see. This is how you get resources when you're in the system, <laughs> when you get, when you got the connects. <laughs> Hence why I was like, wow, maybe we can do this all the time. Let's run for our office. We need so, to have a voice inside of City Hall that actually knows what it's like to live the life that we do as Torontonians. And address those needs and concerns. And I'm not saying I know all the solutions. I'm just saying I can be a facilitator to have community at those decision-making tables because we are already doing that. Take a look at my platform. It's been built by the people absolutely. because they live that reality. I, I love that. I love that. And and you're you're absolutely right. You're, you're part of uh, the community and the community absolutely needs to be at the decision-making table. Absolutely. Um, before I let you go, can you tell the the voters your website and, and um, maybe how they can uh, contact you through your website for any questions, concerns, suggestions uh, about your platform and about your campaign? Definitely. Um, you folks can visit my website at chimilamo.com, which is C-H-E-M-I-L-H-A-M-O.com. Uh, you can reach us by emailing us at info at jimmylama.com. If you're interested in volunteering with us, uh, volunteer at jimmylama.com. And um, if you have any feedback, uh, look out for our Ask Me Anything uh, toggle box on our website soon coming up. Um, But if not, um, uh, until the meantime, uh, you can email us or contact our office even, 647-365-1821. Our office is almost... I mean, not almost. It's actually open every single day, <laughs> quite late. Uh, um, so you can also drop by our office on Queen Street, which is at 1407 Queen Street West. That's amazing. And, you know, I want to thank you for doing this interview and 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 trusting me to facilitate the process. You know, election night for me is usually uh, uh, one with joy. I love election nights, but specifically for municipal politics. I'm not just watching the mayor's race. I'm watching all the wards. I'll have to do that remotely this year because... 
I, I'm not going to be in the country. So I'm going to take advantage of the, the early voting. Guys, again, the early voting is October 7th to the 14th. Election day is the 24th. The only way to affect change is to be part of it. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much again for coming on. Matthew, uh, uh, if I may add a last point. Of course, of course. This is your interview. Go ahead. Wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, One way we also want to bring community into council is not just prior to uh, being in office. We want to be held accountable while we're in office as well. So we're looking into models of how we can have not just community organizations, but also community members hold uh, their councillor accountable. So we're looking into models of how they can influence the way the councillor is making decisions inside of City Hall by making uh, decisions that are being made at City Hall actually accessible to the community. Um, so look out for those type of models. And if you have any input on how that is being practiced in different parts of the world, uh, we're looking at various models practiced in New York, Paris, Spain, uh, of course, Barcelona. Uh, and uh, if you have any feedback and input on that uh, in terms of a model that's not just Internet based, uh, we'd be happy to be all ears. We've been doing some policy pop ups all across the world um, where we have a little booth and talk to your counselor uh, about anything that you want. And we'll continue to be doing that. So look out for those. I love that. I love that. And uh, I definitely will be looking out for that. And thank you again for coming on. And I wish you nothing but luck on your campaign trail. This has been great. Luck won't do. Votes will. Absolutely. All right, folks. Take care. Thank you for this.